Hey everyone, welcome to Knickknack Nerd. I'm Greg Burlett and I'm here with my friend Anthony Keelan. And today we are talking about artificial intelligence, commonly known as, as AI. And uh, Not robots. Not robots. Well, some robots have AI, like that Will Smith movie, right? Robots have AI, but robots are not AI? Some robots have AI. Maybe. Yeah. See, it's already confusing. And the purpose of this podcast is to demystify AI. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about where AI is at and what AI can do. And uh, I think we're actually going to have a whole separate episode on Skynet and just talk about kind of more implications of, of AI and kind of more doomsday scenario kind of stuff. Is that what we're going to do, Anto? I think so, and I think it's also just an excuse to watch Terminator. That's right. I so I can't even remember when did the first Terminator come out? Like it's it's nineties, isn't it? Oh, I I don't even want to say I have no <laughs> no idea. <laughs> because if you look at you know screenshots from the first Terminator, uh, Arnold is looking mighty young, and if you look at mm-hmm. pictures of Arnold today, maybe it's because he's been governor. And he's had to deal with, um, you know, a lot of different things. You know, he's looking pretty old. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you see World War yeah. II veterans, or sorry, World War One mm-hmm. veterans of pictures before they went to war, and then they come back from the trenches, and then they have an after shot, and they look, you know, 30 years older. That's what happened to Arnold after he took uh, governorship. Yeah, the first Terminator was 1984. 1984? So like 16, 16 years. Yeah, 16 years ago. No. Way longer per, than perhaps, years ago. Perhaps more than that. Perhaps yet. longer. <laughs> perhaps. 36 years ago. Wow. That's great. Good on Arnold. He's still mm-hmm. ripped today. He's still absolutely ripped. It's crazy. He never let it slip. Nope. Um, so anyways, AI. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to try and demystify AI. Um, I actually work in the field of, of AI and and use it on, on a daily basis um, at our company. And um, I have a, a pretty low-level grasp of how it works. And sometimes when you're deep in the trenches, it's difficult to kind of pop up and give a, a really high-level overview. Um, but I think that that's super important. And sometimes when I pop up and think about it on a very high level, it honestly feels like black magic. How could this possibly be happening? Um, but then when you go into the the nitty gritty details of it, it just it, it makes sense. Um, but well, you actually executives do love to call it a black box, Greg. It it is, and well, there's there's actually two types of of AI algorithms. There's white box and black box. And white box means I can see inside the box. I can see why it's making the decisions that it's making. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. executives in company in companies are uh, more comfortable with that because they understand how it's working. They can look at at certain decision points and say, "All right, if we get into this situation and it's we're dealing with this data, it's going to make this decision absolutely. I know why it's making mm-hmm. that decision, and things aren't going to blow up." Versus a black box. Black box meaning. I have no idea how it's coming about um, an answer and making a decision. I just 
know that I give it something and it returns me something. Um, and for a lot of executives, that's extremely scary because you don't really know how to reason about the decisions that it's actually making. So I think that's uh, yep. two kind of uh, important concepts to kind of start with is the white box versus black box. And yeah, it is a black box. Even um, even after we train models, um, so like machine learning, um, and we're using it in production, we have no idea how it's coming about the decisions that it's coming up with. We just don't know. Um, you can think well, of it Even as... the white box is a black box to me. <laughs> I think if someone <laughs> explained it to you and laid it out for you, it would be it would become very white, Tanto. It would be fun. Um, but but even the uh, the the machine learning, the artificial intelligence that we've trained, you can think of it as a synthetic brain, and you're giving it input. So you're giving it either it's visual input, so you're looking at images or video, or you're giving it auditory input. You're giving it audio. Um, you can even give touch. Um, there's things called FSR sensors, um, and you can attach them to objects and get a sense of how hard something is pressing. You can do, um, tons of different input, like your iPhone or any sort of, um, device like iPads or anything like that. They have, uh, gyroscopes inside of them and accelerometers. All of that is real-time data that you can run machine learning on and you can run AI on and it can learn how you interact with your device. So think about an app on your phone um, that monitors your sleep. So I've used some of these before. Maybe you have too, Anto, I'm not sure. But you put the your phone on the corner of your bed and it uses the accelerometer to you know, feel when you're moving um, at different points in the night, and then it uses AI um, to figure out, you know, what would be a better sleep schedule? When should I wake you up so that you're not in REM sleep? When should I um, suggest that you go to bed at a specific time? Like stuff like that, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So the point is, whatever kind of data that you're feeding it in, um, you can make decisions about it um, if you have a lot of that data um, to train to train a machine to actually learn from it um, but stepping back and just talking about AI itself AI stands for artificial intelligence it's become increasingly blurred what AI actually is because it's been such a hot topic in media I think the media has over sensationalized everything in this field um, to the point where people are scared that they're going to lose their jobs. People are scared uh, that machines are going to become cognizant and have a conscience and start replacing other humans. Um, And it's, in my eyes, completely unwarranted. Although people like Elon Musk and stuff like that say that, no, we're in like a, a very deciding uh, point in history and we need to make rules and regulations for AI, kind of like um, iRobot, like that um, uh, Will Smith movie um, mm-hmm. where the, the three laws of robotics, do you remember them? 
Yeah, um, well, like, I don't as, remember as, them, but they are Isaac Asimov's three laws for robotics. Yeah. It's it's like something along the lines of a robot can never harm another human. Um, and then there's there's two more, and I, I can't quite recall what they are. Um, so there's certain people in the world that are, I guess, pessimists and optimists, right? A, a lot of people think mm-hmm. that stuff is going to get really out of hand quickly. And a lot of people that think... We are so far from having a complete AI where it, it could potentially be misconstrued as, as, as human that uh, we just don't even need to worry about that right now. We just need to develop really, really quickly. And that's that's one of the things is if you start imposing regulations on, on AI, um, it really slows down development because you're saying, no, you can't do that and you can't do that. And you can't go down that research path because of these ethical considerations and, and stuff like that. What about, but don't you think ethics are important? And should we do that? Isn't, don't you think that is a good question to be asking? I, I think so. Um, but I actually think that we're so far away from the point where it actually matters that we should really be encouraging really quick, iterative research and development. At least. Well, what about, uh, what about technology like deepfake? Okay, yeah, deepfake that, that, is... That, that could be used very nefariously. Yeah, deepfake is starting to get to the point where, um, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, first, we should explain what deepfake is. Do you want to explain that? Uh, I'll let you explain it. You probably know it more in depth than I do. No, go for it. Well, I guess basically it's a, it's a technology that lets you... It's kind of like almost like a face swap technology... And you can um, take some like pre-recorded video um, of someone doing something, and then swap the face of some other person onto it, and make it look like that other person is doing and saying the things that the person in the pre-recorded video was doing. Yeah, yeah, and some some really hilarious videos have come from this. Have you seen the um, Home Alone Macaulay Culkin face swap? Oh yeah, yeah. With uh, yeah. I think they put Sylvester Stallone on Macaulay Culkin's boy body and it's just <laughs> hilarious it's so funny um but you're right there is a lot of implications with that especially with um political sway for example you can make mm-hmm. Donald Trump say anything and well you know I don't think there'll be any impact there <laughs> he already says <laughs> yeah, anything. that's exactly what I was going to say <laughs> so deep fakes certainly have um implications um I guess more social implications rather than physical implications. It's not going to be a robot that opens fire on you. You, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But now yep. we're kind of getting into the world of um, AI used for military. And now that we have drones um, that have visual feedback, so um, visual being uh, a data input to... Uh, artificial intelligence can you mm-hmm. look at a scene so looking at you know a particular thing that's happening in front of the drone and can you tag uh, certain people as as targets that you should be um, friend or foe yeah, exactly so um, AI can do this it's something that humans can do it's something that given enough data um, if someone's holding a gun for example that can be trained you can you can pose that that data to an artificial intelligence and say person holding 
stick-looking gun thing, probably bad. We should open fire, you know, or, or like try and what evade if that's, that person. Right? What if that's my own soldiers? Exactly, right? So then you have to get into, you know, other um, features about that person, like what's the color of their uniform and, and blah, 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 blah. So then you get into the situation of um, false positives versus false negatives. And this is really, really mm-hmm. big in, in health field. For example, if, um, if, you have, uh, if you've trained a machine learning algorithm, so an AI, that is helping out a radiologist, for example. So someone that's looking at x-rays mm-hmm. or ultrasounds or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and let's say that you're trying to flag um, certain growths, like ma- masses of, of tissue as... Yeah, I've read, like, cancer is a pretty popular thing to look right. for. So what are the implications of an AI going through a whole bunch of images really, really quickly, way faster than a human could look at it, and saying, all right, I am 98% positive that this person has a, a, a cancerous tumor, or I'm, you know, 10% positive that this person has a cancerous tumor. Um, what are the implications of a false positive or a false negative? So a false positive. False negative would be saying this person does not have cancer and we shouldn't do anything about it, but they actually do have cancer. So that's... Uh, I feel like that is worse. Yeah, that's potentially life-ending. Like, it, it is life-ending, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where AI really synergizes with with a human expert because a human can look at that and say, ah, well, you made a mistake and really pick up the slack there, right? On the other side... If right. you tell someone that they have cancer and they come into the clinic and you do a whole bunch of more tests and uh, uh, one, you've severely inconvenienced them, you probably added a year to their life in stress, right? Um, I think you've subtracted a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, sorry, subtracted a year uh, <laughs> of stress. So there's, there's a lot of bad things that happen either way. And, right, they, and they might go out and do a bunch of stuff they wouldn't have done. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. Like they might go on a bucket list thing when really they didn't have cancer. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, and, and a really, really important note is that humans also make mistakes, right? And humans would also label certain things as, as you know, cancerous when... It isn't cancerous and, and vice versa, right? Which, you know, has, oh, has implications and, and stuff like that. So really when we're training artificial intelligence algorithms, we have to think about what is the accuracy rate of a human for a specific task. Like, for example, going back to the medical stuff, if I'm a radiologist, how many mistakes do I actually make? Am I... 95% accurate? Am I 90% accurate? Am I 75% accurate? Um, that's kind of the benchmark for artificial intelligence, right? So if we're training artificial intelligence algorithms and there's 76%, right? You could think that really sucks. It's only 76% correct. A tagging that someone has cancer or they don't have cancer, that's not good enough. That has too many consequences for the health field but then if you look at a human doing it a human radiologist that's extremely well trained if they make 75 percent accurate decisions I, I would hope that they're higher i think that they are 
um, then the AI is actually beating it. Um, but if an AI makes a mistake, uh, people get scared. Whereas if a human makes mistakes, they just go, well, it's human. Well, they And then they sue the doctor. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can <laughs> sue an AI. You, well, you could sue the company that made the decisions. Uh, no, you could sue the company that made the AI. You do that. All right. Uh, maybe let's take a step back and maybe uh, you could explain the difference between maybe the different types of AI that exist. Sure. Uh, well, I think um, AI is certainly uh, an umbrella term. Um, AI encompasses machine learning, and machine learning is also kind of a, a hot topic word. Um, AI includes things like... Um, for example, in old video games like pathfinding algorithms, um, those would be considered AI. It's making you know intelligent decisions, um, all the way to, for example, like the early, um, the early chess bots that were I think like Deep Blue and stuff like that. They were using a very specific type of you know AI algorithm. This is very early AI. Um, that, that would make decisions based on what another person is doing and what the robot is doing and, and try and make the best decision. So that's AI. Right. So does that mean like it includes things like simple heuristics and stuff like that? Um, like in those old RTS games, I know the pathfinding is kind of based on, hey, this is the shortest distance to this point. I'll just go that way. Yeah. So I think I think the definition of AI is constantly evolving. Um there, there is an extreme difference between something being an algorithm and algorithm is just a recipe. So like a set of steps that you do to reach a goal. Right. It's deterministic, meaning that if you put in uh, the same input, you will always get the same output, you know, to some extent. Sometimes there's some randomness um, built into the algorithm. Um, whereas AI, the fundamental difference is that you're not telling a computer exactly what to do in specific scenarios. So like an expert going in and saying, in this scenario, we should use a heuristic like this because um, I, I just know. I know that that's not a good path to go down. And when you're looking at situations or actions that you could take, just don't even bother going down there. That's a heuristic, right? That's saying there's a faster way to right. do this. Don't even explore that area because I'm, I'm an expert and I know. AI, uh -huh. the fundamental difference is that the computer learns about its environment on its own. And a lot of people have different you know, definitions of AI. That's, that's my definition of AI, is that it that learns about its environment on its own. Um, so the difference between an algorithm and where a lot of people get confused is, for example, tax software like TurboTax. A lot of people say, TurboTax is so smart. This is not an ad for TurboTax, by the way. <laughs> you know, TurboTax is so smart. It saves me so much time. I put in, it asked me, uh, you know, certain values to put in on my tax return. I put it in and it just calculates the form for me. It does everything for me. It's so intelligent. But really, it's just taking numbers that you give it and adding and subtracting numbers and multiplying things and filling out a form. It's not... Yeah, it's just a fancy spreadsheet. It's a fancy spreadsheet. It's not uh, It's not intelligent. Like, yes, it's performing a task that a human can do, um, but it's done in a very specific way. 
where a human is telling it exactly how to do it. Uh, an artificial mm-hmm. intelligence behind it is not figuring out how to do your taxes for you. Because um, that would be disastrous in the early stages of the AI. It'd be so dumb. It would make so many mistakes. Um, but eventually it could you probably figure it out. <laughs> you go to jail. <laughs> um, so I say that is the fundamental difference. Um, there's a, a company that I, I contracted for um, some time ago. And uh, I was on a call with, with uh, you know a pretty high up tech person. And they were wondering if they could um, if they could call their product AI um, I guess for the purposes of company image because it's a very hot topic right now so if you say that you're doing AI mm-hmm. um, good marketing good marketing customers are like whoa they're doing some crazy stuff over there that's so cool and also like investors mm-hmm. raising the value of a company stuff like that right so um, mm-hmm. I talked to this person and eventually after kind of going in the weeds and figuring out what they're doing, it became evident that um, they were just doing some kind of like thresholding and it was all, it was all um, like a human expert that had looked at data. So like actually gone into the data and made graphs and, you know, intelligently looked at things and said in situations like this, once we break this number, uh, so this threshold, then we're going to do this and go into this. And so it was all very hand engineered, right? Um, right. In the end, uh, we got into like a philosophical discussion on what is AI <laughs> and what isn't AI. Um, just because he's like, well, it's so intelligent, right? And and our customers just think it's so intelligent. So how could it not be AI? If, if you give it, uh, an input and it comes up with something intelligent then isn't that ai and you really have yeah, but to what if you give it a situation it hasn't seen before then what does it do yeah so well in right? situations like that where the input is it's not wild you know like you're just putting in like a number mm-hmm. and it says yep. is the number greater than this number it doesn't matter if the number is like near infinity it's right. still greater than the number or like something like that. But yeah, that's a really good point. Like if you're getting into like images or video or really complex data, um, then that's where hand coded kind of statements about, is it greater than this? Is it less than this? That's when that really starts breaking down because um, it just hasn't seen enough like variety of data, I guess. Right. Yeah. There's so much variability in video or images and, uh, one person cannot account for every situation it would come into. Exactly. And that that's one of the detriments of of kind of hand-engineered, human-made, um, I guess, intelligence is one of the reasons why um, Deep Blue, that, that chess robot, or chess artificial intelligence, I should say, um, beat that guy is because, uh, I think it was Casper, uh, was that his name? The guy, the deep blue face? Not a chess guy, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm thinking Casper. Maybe that's right. Maybe it isn't. Um, one of the reasons why the AI really, really excelled was the computer could look up so many more moves in advance and say, all right, if I do this move you know, on my next step, what are the implications of that? 
and then literally follow that action down and branch off all the different possible actions on that one action and say, if I do this, he could do this, or he could do this, or he could do this. And then if we go down that path, then what's, what, what would be my next action? What would he probably do? And keep going and keep going all the way to the end of the game. And literally map out every single action uh, the AI could have taken and that Casper could have taken. And go right to the end and say, what results in the highest probability that I win? And then take that action. A human just cannot right. do that. The amount of mental bandwidth to actually do that, it just wouldn't happen. So I think that that's where um, like humans kind of have a def- detriment for sure. Uh, you want to take a, a break and then we'll get into um, kind of some cool stuff that's going on in, in AI right now? Amazon is a website that will ship you anything you need in life. Literally anything. You can even buy uranium ore and start your own nuclear reactor today. Sign up for an Amazon Prime subscription and get two-day free shipping, access to Prime Video and music streaming services, and 20% off diapers delivered right to your door. You don't even need to take off your pajamas. Sign up for Prime using the link bit.ly forward slash Amazon Knickknack Nerd, which also supports this podcast. And now back to the show. Okay, Greg, now that we're back, why don't we talk about some of the, the cool things that are going on in AI right now and, uh, you know, what, what makes those things special? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess earlier we talked about all the different kind of data that AI could look at. So you can look at audio, you can look at images, you can look at video, text, um, you know, pretty much any constant stream of data. Um, or, or images. Images are not even a stream of data. Um, so I guess starting with audio, there's a lot of cool stuff that, that Google's doing right now, which, you know, makes sense because Google has incredibly deep pockets. Um, well, more so Alphabet, the parent company. Um, but there's a lot of cool initiatives like Google Brain, um, Google Magenta, um, that are actually working a lot in, in the audio world. Um, one system that they made uh, was trained on um, the work of a dead composer. So taking Beethoven songs and essentially diving down and learning the structure of these songs, what notes lead into which other notes and chords um, in the music, and then running an AI that creates a new song, a completely new song from an entirely dead composer. Which I thought it is so cool. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, because um, a lot of artists have a particular kind of signature, right? And whether it's um, you know a painter or um, you know some sort of musician, usually if you hear the, if you hear a Nickelback song, you're like, ah, that's 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 Chad. <laughs> like you just know immediately, right? If you see a painting and it kind of looks like swirly and a you know, very specific brush stroke, you're like, ah, oh, that's that's Van Gogh. That's just his, that's his signature, right? So, so too with music. Um, so Greg, do you think that they could use their, um, you know, that dead composer technology to, to basically create a software that would just always create hit songs? It's actually, um, it's really interesting. I, I have a friend that is, um, 
He's a, a professor at a university in, in Amsterdam. And his whole life's work has been figuring out from a machine learning perspective. So AI analyzing hit songs. So like the Billboard Top 40. What is it mm-hmm. about a specific song that makes it a hook? Like what is it that gets in people's heads and you know allows it to to kind of rise up above all these other songs and you know become massive hits and uh, so far i i think he's on on a very low level has found certain things um but nothing that you'd be able to feed audio to an ai and it would say yep we're 90 cent 90% positive that this is going to be a hit or this is its ranking how it's on a place on the on the billboard top 40 you know something like that I think I think even right. humans don't even know, and that's why it's so hard to program an AI, um, because right now, AI is very good at doing things that humans can do, and humans know specifically how to do, um, whereas AIs can just do it really fast. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. Because you can tell it when it's on the right track or yeah. not. Yeah, and a, a lot of the training procedure is based off of so if you're actually posing data to an ai it's something called supervised learning so think of you being a teacher and you're you're teaching a student so the student is the ai you're saying all right i'm going to give you this piece of data so whether it's an image right and let's say that we're Mm -hmm. building a classifier so a classifier says for example is it a cat or not a cat so we're classifying it into two bins. So imagine I give you an image and you have two bins in front of you and you have to put it in the cat box or the not cat box, right? Um, a supervised yeah. learner would say, all right, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of images and I'm going to watch how you categorize these images. So I'm going to watch you put it into the cat or no cat box. And then I'm going to tell you what you got right and wrong. Uh, not tell you why. I'm just going to tell you what you got right and wrong. And through giving you a ton, a ton of images, you're going to figure out yourself. What is it about this image? So it's called a feature. What features about images of cats make them cat-like? I don't tell you how to do it. I just tell you if you're right or wrong. Right. Supervised learning. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of... It's really similar to, you know, uh, in Silicon Valley, where that guy, uh, Jin Yang, <laughs> Jin is making the app to the, the seafood, uh, or what did he call it? I think it, it was um, seafood, as in, like, looking at It's called seafood. It was supposed to tell you um, what the food was when you took a picture of it. <laughs> such a genius name. But what actually happened was um, it could only tell you if it was a hot dog or not a hot dog. <laughs> and so, like, eventually, like, app like abysmal failure of an app but eventually he sold it to um some social media company and they used it for penis <laughs> exactly <laughs> hot dog or no hot dog yeah so good so i guess what kind of things would lead lead it to only be able to know about hot dogs and not hot dogs and kind of fail in that way like how does that happen or what do you mean can you clarify yeah so like he's obviously been feeding it a whole bunch of pictures of of food but like all it can really tell you is if it's a hot dog or not a hot dog so like where where do you think he went wrong um all right so 
If you had to guess. Okay, so the purpose of his of his app was seafood. So apart from the name of it just being seafood, um, you're supposed to be able to look <laughs> at food and it tell you what kind of food it is. So the one the one yeah. place where Jin Yang went wrong was he made a, a binary classifier and a binary classifier binary means zero or one. So hot dog, no hot right. dog. And that's gotcha. all he programmed, <laughs> right? So that's all he taught the AI to do was put it in the hot dog bin or don't put it in the hot dog bin. Whereas I believe the purpose of his app that he intended was for it to be able to categorize, you know, multiple types of food. So really, perhaps even any perhaps food. <laughs> any food. Well, hot dogs are food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he should have made a multi-class classifier where you have multiple bins. This is a really fancy way to say multiple gotcha. bins. So he should have had, you know, like a hamburger bin, a hot dog bin, a lettuce bin, um, an apple Spaghetti. bin, like literally like every single food that you could potentially yeah, okay. eat. And uh, That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Well, you know, the um, you just feed a computer power and it just goes through a whole bunch of images and you need to go through and label all of them. So that's kind of one yeah, of the... Yeah, so someone has to touch every image, right? Yes. So that... That sounds really exhausting. It, it, it really is. But it's also easy to label them. Like, any person should be able to label the images. That's true. So, um, talking about uh, supervised learning, um, someone needs to label those images. So, there exists software out there, like um, Amazon's Mechanical Turk, for example, where you feed uh, a whole bunch of data that you want you know, some sort of manual labor task done on on that piece of data, right? So for example, if I was Jin Yang and I wanted to do the hot dog, no hot dog app, I could put a whole bunch of images that I find on, you know, Google search and just like tons of different things in there and get people to click two buttons. Is it a hot dog? Is it not a hot dog? And I do this for, let's say like 5,000 images. And I pay, you know, 10 cents per image, right? So uh, 500 bucks, train my classifier, mm-hmm. or I, I've labeled all of my data. And then I take that, that data and I say, all right, machine learner, here's a whole bunch of images that I know is a hot dog or not a hot dog. And now learn, learn what makes a hot dog a hot dog, right? So that, that would be, you know, how I would actually go about training um, a piece of machine learning software. Um, but... When you start getting into, so for example, my company, uh, we work on on audio data. And so we convert uh, audio recordings of instruments, so like piano, guitar, stuff like that, and we'll actually write out the note content. So like you played a A sharp here or, you know, something like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is not something that can just be put on Mechanical Turk because you need really domain-specific knowledge. You need... Yeah, pretty highly trained musicians to actually listen to the audio and say, all right, this is a chord of, you know, six notes at once, and those notes are these, and it happens at this time in the audio. It's actually a really, really hard problem. So it's not something where you can just get any old person to label data for you. Um, so sometimes labeling data is really hard, and uh, it's difficult to, um, to train AI in that situation. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, in the audio world, um, OpenAI, which was a company founded by Elon Musk, 
Um, and I think another person from like Y Combinator, I can't quite remember his name, um, but uh, it created something called Jukebox. And uh, you feed it the beginning of a song and it'll try and complete the song. So, of course, the. F- what, what do you mean you feed it? You like just play. Yep. Uh, like 10 seconds and it just makes the rest of the song for you and creates a completely original exactly. song. Yeah, but it would be okay. in the style. Uh, so it, it would just, basically you would roll like 10 seconds of uh, mm-hmm. any song and then it would just pick up from where you left off and just start generating like a whole new audio track for you from that point on. Um, so of course, the first thing that they did with this was Rick Rolls. So let's make, you know, thousands of different Rick Astley Rickrolls that are all original. And, uh, yeah, it's hilarious. It's really good. Um, so, you know, kind of comical things like that. Um, all the way to, you know, we talked about deep fakes already, which, which are um, kind of has some societal implications. Um, Google DeepMind came out um, probably like eight years ago, six to eight years ago, something like that, where, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's still up, but you could put up images uh, of yourself or, you know, whatever, and it would kind of make them look like an LSD acid trip kind of thing by just putting it through the Google DeepMind. Um, So that was was a pretty cool, I think that was using um, uh, neural networks and stuff like that. Um, It just made really cool images. and then kind of the, the more um, useful um, useful AI in terms of, you know, how we use it on a daily basis is probably for text. Like if you think of um, um, text creation auto-completion. So, for example, when you're writing a, an email in Gmail, um, you notice that as you're typing, it kind of has the light gray text lately. And I think this has just been in the last year. Yeah, suggestions. Yeah. Um, so that's auto-completion, and that's completely done by, by AI. Um, it uses a, a piece of AI called an RNN, um, and it just uh, looks at a whole bunch of other training data, um, so a whole bunch of other composed emails, and it says this is what you probably are going to do next, or probably write next, because I've seen you know, so many other um, compositions of, of emails like this, right? So kind of like the um, right. like the dead composer thing, right? Like you're looking at at a whole uh, corpus of work, so a whole bunch of text, and then you're trying to extrapolate from that based on you know what you've seen before, right? Yeah, same yeah. concept. And same thing. Like another thing with text is uh, translators. So if you if you actually think about um, how far translation apps and websites have come, like if I don't know if you remember Babelfish from back in the day. Did you use that at all? Yeah. Totally. Remember how crappy yep. it was? No, it was terrible. actually so bad. And now when you go into Google Translate and you translate a whole page from Russian and you're just reading it like like probably well not like a native speaker yeah. but it, like it's pretty close. It mostly makes it mostly sense. makes it makes sense. It's kind of like um maybe like a 13-year-old is is talking to you. Right, like some things aren't quite there, but yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, and and that is totally due to AI. So the old school days of Babelfish, think about how easy it is to do like a thesaurus. So you, you put in a word, or not a thesaurus, but uh, like a direct translation. So you put in a word, 
And mm-hmm. then you say, all right, this word in English is this exact word in Russian, and this is it in, you, in um, um, French, right. and this is it in Spanish. And then you just literally replace them. And then you have some, yeah, like a that, little bit of like an algorithm that says, like, in this situation, don't do that, and do that in this situation. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that mapping doesn't always exist in translation, which is, I guess, why the AI is taken over. Totally. Yeah. And that's why, like, a lot of the times you get really crappy translations. Um, just because it, it would be doing kind of dead simple um, replacements of words, right? Um, and then kind of getting out of... Oh, another th- cool thing that they're doing with text now is um, for stock market, so purely for you know financial gain, um, people have realized for a really long time that the stock market is kind of random. Like if you put in money, you know, like maybe... Like it just goes up and down. Um, so a lot of people have tried mm-hmm. to do, you know, artificial intelligence to figure out, predict the next stock market price. So what's the stock going to be tomorrow for this specific company? It is incredibly hard. And that's the reason why the stock market still exists because nobody has figured this out because it's a, a crazy problem. Um, it sh- there's so many factors that contribute to stock market price that either we haven't figured out the features to train a machine learning algorithm to do this and the features being remember i was talking about the cat cat no cat bin like what features Mm -hmm. of this image make it a cat same thing with with the stock market price what features of this company and you know what they're going through in the environment um and with the environment not just internal but external what sort of features about this contribute to its stock price it's incredibly hard problem yeah totally um so people have started well, especially since... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go for it. I was just going to say, like, especially since uh, a lot of stock market prices are super sensitive to, to like, breaking news and stuff, and that the robot can't, or the AI can't predict what news is going to come out. It can only react to what comes out, right? So it's not going to know ahead of time um, where sometimes some people may have uh, intuition. They just have a feeling, and they, they kind of gamble on it, right? And that... that also impacts the price because you know they're buying and selling based on just how they feel exactly uh yeah that's that's actually a really really good point um and and a lot of the intuitive feel that humans have is based on their sentiment with something like i i feel this way about something and therefore i'm going to act on it whereas uh an artificial intelligence i can't it, it can't feel about something you know like it doesn't have that gut feel um that sentiment about it um although people are trying to do uh, certain ai algorithms um that do sentiment analysis um so looking at for example um a whole bunch of reactions to a company's tweets so for example elon musk goes on his twitter and says some crazy thing about Tesla and you know what he's gonna do, and then people react to it. Um, then training a, a artificial intelligence to look at the text that people are saying and say, is this a good sentiment or a bad sentiment? Like, are people angry? Are they happy about this? Um, so that's essentially a classifier, right? Like we're taking words as input and mm-hmm. the machine learning is putting it into the happy bin or the angry, angry bin or the sad bin or something like that. And using that to 
as input to a stock market um, predictor. Um, so that's kind of some cool stuff that's going on there. Um, obviously, it, it has not worked yet because the stock market is still going. <laughs> because the minute that someone figures out something that works decently well and is consistently making money, the stock market is done. Oh, or that person just milks it quietly for a while. Yeah, I, I assume that they probably would. Um, I think that that would get out. I think it would get out. Um, just based on, you know, the greed of humanity. Like, is that person actually going to stop, you know, gaming the market? Or are they just going to try and make billions of dollars? Probably try and make billions of dollars, right? Um, you never know. Yeah, who knows? It could... It, They'll play the long game. The long game. game. It could be like um, in Office Space where uh, the guy is just taking... We're just taking <laughs> fractions of a cent. Just fractions of a cent. Yeah. Something like that. But he messed he up. He did. I always mess up some mundane detail. Uh, what a great movie it's so good incredible movie I want to watch that one again Humble Bundle is a video game subscription service that selects a bunch of fun games each month and you choose which games you want to keep forever with the subscription you also get a 20% discount off of thousands of games on the Humble store I often find myself browsing Steam not knowing what I want to play when that time could be better spent trying a handful of good hand-picked games. Sign up for a humble choice basic or premium subscription using the link bit.ly forward slash humble nerd. Your subscription not only gets you a handful of great video games, but also supports this podcast. Now back to the show. All right. Uh, maybe I got a, I got a question here for you. So um, I like to, to tinker on things. Um, and I think there's like a bunch of cool stuff, um, that, that maybe might be possible. Like, but what are some like starter projects? Like, could someone like me that just likes to tinker, um, just maybe throw some out of the box ish sort of stuff together and get a reasonable result? Yeah, I, I would say that, um, and certainly this happens in, in a lot of companies, um, that are kind of grassrootsing. Uh, certain products and kind of experimenting with certain things um, it could just be like someone that's kind of savvy with with you know programming or something like that enough to grab a software library and read some documentation about all right how do I structure the data that I'm going to put into this black box and then call a train function you know and then get an output and then run a predict function that you give it new data that it's never seen before in the same format and it outputs uh, a mm -hmm. number for you or, or a class label like zero, one, two, three, something like that. Um, where you, you don't need the low level knowledge of like a graduate degree in machine learning or something like that to actually use it. You can completely treat it like a black box, use preset values for certain things, if you come into some come in contact with something that you don't know what it is, like what's a learning rate? What's what's this? What's this um, algorithm? A lot of the um, off the shelf kind of machine learning libraries out there just have default values for everything. Like, all right, well, you're probably going to be right. using like this learning rate um, for this kind of uh, training procedure, 
and uh, so you just use all the defaults. Um, the hardest part would just be um, realizing how you need to structure the data um, to feed it into the black box, like the library. And that's it. You, you could totally train something. Okay. All right. So what, what do you think would be a good, um, you know, beginner project if someone was to go about that? Seafood. I I program hot dog no hot dog seafood a, a binary classifier cool. is like one of the earliest um like things that you would learn in a machine learning course it's super simple you're taking in some kind of data and you're just putting it into bins in two bins it's super easy um so that's what I would do I would just take like um um an image and there are a lot of different feature calculations that you can do on that image that are just kind of like built into the library. Like you wouldn't even have to know necessarily which features to calculate. Like you can just say, all right, here's a list of, of, of features that you know people in academia have already figured out for me and just go image.feature, figure out the feature um, and then put it into the black box and train. Like a lot of this stuff has become really simple that if you're just kind of like a regular programmer, you would totally be able to, you know, train up something, whether or not it'll be cutting edge and like best in the world, probably not because you don't have the knowledge, uh, and the procedures, you know, that someone with a graduate degree would have, but you would certainly know enough, um, to use it as a, as a black box and get a somewhat reasonable result. I guess for a lot of applications, it might be, you know, good enough anyway. Totally. Like you might not need that insane accuracy if I'm not trying to predict if someone has cancer yep. or not. I just want to know, you know, for example, hey, what are the numbers on that license plate? Totally. And I think that a lot of, um, uh, a lot of tasks that a company might be faced with, um, it might be an easy problem for the machine learning algorithm to figure out, in which case you might already just be at a point where um, instead of hiring a whole you know, PhD research and development team of people to do this for you, if you just you know get a scrum together of three software developers on a hack day and say, all right, this is the data that we have and this is what we want to do with it, Maybe you come up with something cool and it's just good enough for your application and you save a whole bunch of money. Um, of course, maybe not. And maybe it's an absolute disaster um, because the problem is really, really but hard. It didn't cost, it didn't you, cost much. you much, right? So, um, yeah, it, yeah totally. a lot of people have a misconception that, you know, it's something that someone with a PhD needs to do or, or something like that. And that's that used to be the case, certainly, because there were a lot of. Uh, a lot of holes in libraries, like stuff missing where you would need to fill in the gaps. Um, but now there's there's so many machine learning libraries out there, like in terms of code libraries, that uh, you know you just call them and maybe good things happen. All right. Uh, okay. So one other question for you: It's like what? Where do you think the the biggest or most game changing application of AI is? Well, I think I think that's a really hard question. I think certainly um, gaming the stock market and doing predictions of, of stock market prices uh, would be extremely detrimental to the way our society runs. Um, like it would fundamentally change, you know, economics, and like it would just it would turn the world on its head. 
Um, so I think that would be pretty crazy. Um, I think if there was even even on a, a um, like something that doesn't seem so so big and like catastrophic, let's say that um, an insanely large company like Amazon works out a very simple problem that takes a lot of manpower to do. Like for example, you know, quality assurance on you know certain products, or you know, figuring out a warehouse robot to just go into an aisle and find a specific item and take it and put it in a box. Um, that's something that right. costs the company a lot of money. And certainly I know that Amazon is um, trying to train AI robots to do that because um, I've seen them. Um, the societal implications of that alone would be crazy. Like just just that one specific company, how many jobs would be displaced. Um like there, there's a right, lot like of um that's probably most of the people they employ are probably people in their warehouses yeah a lot of a lot of low-level manual labor um that if they can get an ai to you know replace those those people um that's a lot of job displacement even if you think about um um let's just say like financial like cpas um they look at at you know numbers and then they make predictions about those numbers like telling you where you should invest or you know what you should do with your money that kind of stuff even like that um kind of segment of uh, of a career could displace so many different things if if an ai could make those decisions um and things like wealth i think wealth simple and stuff like that is already kind of going in that direction um and they're using ai to do that um, so in terms of game changing, I, I would say probably the stock market stuff. Um, and, and certainly, uh, the whole world of AI mixing in with, um, military is kind of frightening. And I think that, that would also be game changing. Can you imagine if, um, yeah, that's very Terminator-esque. Oh, you know, it is. <laughs> and if you think about it, we have, as humans, we have, all of the, the implements um, to blow this world up four times over. And uh, the only thing that's preventing us from doing that is, um, I, I guess, humans feeling strongly, uh, you know, that we shouldn't do it. Um, so just not wanting to yeah. blow it up. Even even like back in the Cold War, I'm sure there were situations where some guy's sitting in a bunker um, and you know, is holding off just for one last minute for things to turn around before he presses that button. Yeah. Um, just because he really doesn't want to blow everything mm-hmm. up. So that that's that's a, a massive scale of uh, of that kind of problem. But if you kind of go onto a micro scale, even small military decisions like do I pull the trigger um, and do I kill this specific person, um, there is an emotional element to it and and a sentiment attached to it right now only a a human can think of and think about the implications and like think about the person's family stuff like that um and ai you know is just looking at certain environmental factors and then pulling a trigger it's like it's completely different right yeah um i think uh, one of the most controversial ones i've i've kind of seen seen around a lot recently is uh relation to like self-driving cars and whether they should avoid pedestrians 
or protect a driver. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's a really that's a really hard one too. I think that there's um isn't there a thought experiment about um if uh it was something like if you could save one life but kill five other lives or something like that by like switching a train on a track. Have you heard about this? Yeah, there is a thought experiment do you, about do you that. Know it? Yeah, totally. I I I don't remember um exactly uh how it how it all played out but it i am like you know it's ringing a bell yeah it it has something to do with um why is why is one human life um not as important as five or like something like that um yeah we should go look that up after Mm -hmm. um or or how many does it take for for them to be more important than one yeah i think that that's what it was driving at actually so yeah i think that in the end Oh, I do remember it. it was like, and then sometimes they changed like the the situation that the person was in, right? So the single person, okay, it was like, okay, well, what if the single person is a pregnant woman? Or what if it's uh, a murderer? Or what oh, if right. it's yeah, yeah. Uh, this elderly? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it like poses all these different sort of like um, kind of ethical slash moral, moral uh, dilemmas for you. And and I think there was like a meme website where it's like, "Hey, am I an asshole?" Or not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's totally what it was. Um, yeah. And it turns out that that humans don't even know the answer to that. So how the heck would an AI know the answer to that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of um, really interesting just implications of of AI, whether it's you know financial or social. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where where AI kind of takes us as, you know, the human race. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of different directions it could go, right? Like, you know, it could go the way of Terminator and be an absolute disaster, or it could also go the way of Star Trek, where it's, like, mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you don't know. That's very true. Um, you have any other questions? Uh, those, were the, those were the big ones. Um, yeah, I guess... Uh, so I guess one one more question um, is like a lot of tech media they talk about like how AI is going to be like in everything um, in the future. Uh, so it's, I just was kind of gonna get your opinion. Do you think that that's true? Like, is it gonna be kind of like in everything? And like, to what degree do you think it will be used? Kind of, um, you know, globally. I think that um, eventually it will be in so many low level um, parts of products. Um, that maybe are shared across many different products that the usage of AI will become unavoidable. That's, that's personally what I think in terms of the consumption of the technology, I always view AI as, as a supplement to, uh, to humans, meaning that we're, we're going to be using AI to help us make decisions to, um, help us perform certain tasks um for example especially in the the artistic realm um you know where where i I guess the importance of of human creativity and stuff like that Uh, like in audio if you can use an ai to come up with five new song ideas um that's trained on stuff that you've written before that comes up with these ideas and kind of you know acts like a muse to prompt your your creativity 
Um, I, I think that, that that's how AI will be consumed rather than the more pessimistic view where um, AI just takes over and becomes its own race. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe that happens. Yeah. Um, but that's how I view us consuming it or things like even radiology. Like maybe it gets to a point where uh, an AI completely outperforms a radiologist and, uh, you know, there's just no need for radiologists anymore. All, all the 12 years of school that you did, yeah, just give it to a computer. It'll figure out, you know, what to do. Um, are people going to be okay with, with that decision? Or do they still want a human um, to look at it and say, yeah, I've looked at this and, and I agree with the computer and I think you're going to be fine. Same, same deal with self-driving cars. If you look at the, the mortality rates for, for accidents um, based on humans driving um, and then compare that to the accident rates and mortality rates of self-driving cars, um, yeah, they're like pretty much the same, um, if not even a little bit favored towards um, self-driving cars at this point right now. Well, yeah, I would say... I would say the self-driving cars kind of have a leg up because they don't get drunk and they don't get mm-hmm. angry. Think about what happens when a self-driving car, um, you know, gets in an accident. It's immediately in the media. It's in the news and the media is like, oh, do we really want self-driving cars, you know, operating around us when they're getting in accidents and, and who knows what they'll do next? Um, but exactly the same thing yeah. could be said for a human, right? Yeah, I think I think it'll be exactly the same kind of everywhere where we choose to uh, use AI and are open that we are using it. Um, there will be like increased scrutiny uh, around like should we be using it here and and you know why is it failing in this way and we should have never used it because you know it caused the deaths or or injuries to these people. Mm-hmm. And it's so think about um, like if you're going after a serial killer. And you finally catch a serial killer, right? And you're, then you want to mm-hmm. like take a deep dive into the motive. Like, why the heck did this person do what they did? And then you know you set up an interview, and you know they they just like tell you about something from their past or like why what they were thinking while they were doing it. Even if it doesn't really make sense, you're like, okay, well that's his, his or hers perception of what was happening and here's why they reacted in this specific way um an ai is a black box you can't interrogate an ai you can look at all of the the numbers and look at the pathways about like why it made a decision (laughs) um but in the end it's just a whole bunch of numbers and neurons firing and we have no idea like we, we would have no idea to be able to attribute you know why it did anything which I think is really scary for people. And this is kind of full circle coming back to like executives not really trusting AI with a black box and wanting, you know, white box solutions, right? Um, I, I guess because they feel a bit right. safer knowing, you know, how it's making decisions. Um, I kind of think that's uh, that's a really good overview on everything. Do you have anything else you want to add no. here? No, that's it. You want to you wrap this thing up? Put a cherry on top? Yeah, I think... Uh... I think uh, that that wraps it up. You can find more information about us on our website, knickknacknerd.com. And you can write to us, hello at knickknacknerd.com. 
find us on social media facebook twitter instagram all those places at knickknack nerd um download and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcasting platform you use leave us a review and you can visit our patreon patreon.com slash knickknack nerd thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time